0: Here at Text Talks, we're taking a little time off to prepare for what is set to be our biggest season yet and we're trying really hard to sneak in a little R&R so that we're properly recharged and ready to go but because we're workaholics and we can't really take a break, we thought that even though August is done and dusted and Women's Month along with it we would try and keep the conversation and vibe going by continuing to focus on our awesome female guests all through September. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be re-releasing some of our favorite episodes. This week we're looking at the awe-inspiring figure that is Alice Phoebe Lou. And welcome to Tex Talks. I am Tex, and today I am talking to a proudly independent singer-songwriter whose creative confidence shines through courtesy of her captivating vocals and stripped-backed compositions. Having developed her bluesy folk sound busking on the streets of Berlin, she has caught the ears of a community of music lovers the world over with her honest storytelling and raw, beautiful voice. I am, of course, talking about the uniquely captivating Alice Phoebe Lou. But first, we need to mention our awesome studio sponsors for this season. SDFD Studio, a world-class recording facility opened by local music specialists, Sit the Folk Down. Their services range from audio and post-production work to mixing and mastering and everything else audio-related. Get in touch with them at studio at stfd.co.za for all your recording and music-related needs. Mixroom Studios is a boutique, electronic music-focused, mixing and mastering studio. And if you're making cool electronic music, you probably need your beats to be polished. So hit Mixroom Studio up at info at mixroomstudios.com for more info. Alice, welcome. It's It's been a while since I've last seen you. How has the start of the new decade been treating you
1: i think it's been quite a rough start actually to be honest i feel like it's the case for everyone i think it's it's that um delusion that we get ourselves into like new year new me everything's gonna be better i can just wipe all the cuck away and start again um and then reality hits you and you're like oh it's you know the new year thing is just symbolic and you know we're still still got our same struggles and and all of those things um but right now i feel like my year's starting now <laughs> i feel like that was just a trial period those the first month and a half or so
0: january lasted like 15 years
1: exactly basically and i think also i just um i had come to south africa after touring for a long time i played over 100 shows last year so i was kind of i never really stopped and my band came down with me this time and usually they uh, come at a later stage so it the the tour almost continued um and then i had a bit of a bit of a crash when they left in mid-jan um but that crash is always very necessary for me i don't see that as like a negative thing when you just kind of need to take stock and suddenly just yeah change change the speed and the pace of, of life a little bit So that's what I've been going through um, but I'm I'm in a very good place right now I feel I feel very happy with the way things have been and I'm looking very forward to the things that are coming so
0: oh. I can't wait to talk about all all of the things <laughs> that have happened over the last few years because it's been a it's been a while since I've seen you, but also to hear about all of the very exciting things that you're working on that are coming up this year. But I mean, you mentioned the the speed and the sort of change of pace when you come back to Cape Town, where you can sort of re, regroup and recenter. And I know you grew up in in Komiki, which is like it's that th- that's Child the pit- that's the epitome of like chilled and and laid back. So. <laughs> I w- and I know on social media you talk very fondly about like your mom and your brothers, and you seem like a very close knit family. So, what was it like growing up in the the, the um, I, what I'm sure is a very chilled, very laid back Lou household?
1: I mean, you know, things are always a bit different on the on the inside as they are to the, the outer world and Komiki definitely is a very, very chill place to be. Um, I grew up in a family of four and we're all pretty strong personalities so um, there's that but I have very loving parents and I'm very, very fortunate uh, the way that I have grown up. the The way that I started my career has been determined by the the kind of principles that I grew up on and um, especially having a very, very strong independent mother. Um, So I'm very, very grateful for those things. And I take a lot of inspiration from growing up here to my life in Berlin.
0: It's crazy. The first time I met you, I interviewed you for another online radio show that I had um, before you played Tuesdays on fire at Ann Union, um, which was the first time that I also saw you perform. And I remember you came into studio and you hooked up your guitar and you opened your voice, you open, you open your mouth. And I was like, how is this voice coming out of this? I don't know. I think you were like 1920 yeah. at the time. And I just remember being so blown away. And my producer in the booth looked at me and he was like, what is going on right now? I'm so confused by this insane talent. And like, I that night as well like I remember the whole crowd just being so completely like entranced by you and it's just you and your guitar and I feel like it's very powerful to just have you your guitar and your voice but what are your some of your earliest memories that that you have about you interacting with with music
1: so I guess it starts with my parents record collection and just being exposed to a lot of different genres. My, my parents didn't have like one kind of music that they listened to. Um, and that was always really special. I also had a lot of, um, like kind of musical, my parents had musical friends that I looked up to and my mom plays a bunch of instruments herself. So it was kind of always around, um, but that was never really my focus. I didn't grow up dreaming of being a musician. I thought that at the end of school I was going to go and study um, anthropology and uh, at UCT. So th- it wasn't my dream. Uh, but that all kind of changed once I s- started traveling, started mm. writing some songs, and and realised. I guess the effect that, that I had on people, it's, it started to show and the, the excitement of playing on the street. I just found something, you know, that feeling where you, where you really just suddenly realize that you're so comfortable and at ease doing something um, that I'd never really found in one thing before. And I found that, on the streets of Berlin, um, which was initially out of necessity, kind of I'm traveling. I don't want to ask my parents for money. I got to do this. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, I am really happy with the way that it happened because, uh, I feel like I I had many years where I was kind of self-conscious about the fact that I'd never gone to music school. I'd never really had a formal education in music. And I felt like, fuck, if I just started earlier, imagine you know the wealth of knowledge that i could have on music now and the kind of music that i'd be making but i realized especially in the last couple of years that the value as well of of being a musician that that is self-taught that doesn't necessarily have music theory as a strength but has storytelling and songwriting in a different way as a strength um, and it's something that I'm starting to appreciate about myself more feeling less self-conscious that I'm not a trained musician but that I can tell stories through a few simple chords you know and that's that's been a really nice uh, place to come to to realize that sometimes not having an education on the thing that you're in, you're in can be a strength in a way as well um, that's been something that's been really nice to acknowledge because i always had this sense of like "Mm, i'm not good enough you know Mm,
0: i think i think a lot of us do Yeah. like when it comes to creative prowess that we have or that we're unsure of but one thing that i just learned about you know i didn't know that i had no idea that you weren't you hadn't studied music at all that's incredible (laughs) i think i mean it makes it even more special um from, yeah, from my perspective, because it's just it's you are you are exactly who you are. I think maybe um, honing your talents busking on the streets as well in Berlin. it's kind of it's very, very raw, very exposed. So I want to take it back to just after you matriculated. You get on a plane, you go to Amsterdam, you're dancing, you're fire dancing, which I also didn't know about you. That's insane. Um, (laughs) You know, trying to make money, doing your thing. And somebody says to you, you've got to go to Berlin. And I feel like with you, it's impossible to have a conversation and not talk about Berlin because the city is so intrinsically linked to you and you are so intrinsically linked to the city. Um, What is your first impression when you get to Berlin? What's What's the first thing that enters your mind?
1: I walked down the street, um, and it was in quite an alternative part of the city where I've actually uh, like live at the moment. And there was just so much activity happening on the streets, so many different kinds of people that held themselves high without a sense of being judged, even if they were kind of looking outside of the norm or, you know, expressing something that isn't uh i don't know it's usually socially acceptable and that was literally it i walked down the street and just saw just such a wealth of expression and and i couldn't believe it to be honest because i'd heard of you know these golden eras in different parts of the world paris you know,
0: in the 20s new york
1: in the 70s mm. and and these kinds of things felt like they were living in books and records and, and that's honestly it sounds a little bit romantic but that's literally what I felt when I was walking down the streets in Berlin. Uh, the sense that wow there's still a place in the world where you know you can feel as though anything is possible and where there's the sense that things are not over regulated. Because most big cities in the world, you know, as amazing as they are have this sense of just being so fucking overregulated that you just you 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 don't feel like art and expression can can really know no bounds, you know. And is and it a, is it an affordable city? I've never been there before. No, it's not. It's really expensive, and no one should ever go there. <laughs> no, it's um, it is really affordable. Okay. Um, comparatively to a lot of other parts of Europe especially when I moved there uh, in 2012, I was paying like 250 euros for a room. Like, and you compare that to London. I mean, it's just a whole different situation. But that's the thing is Berlin's kind of magnetism in lots of different ways, because obviously there's the alternative part of the city that draws in artists and creative types from all over the world. People Mm -hmm. just kind of like, land there and get stuck there and can't leave, um, like, like I did. Uh, but there's also, you know, a lot of other interesting things happening in fashion, in tech companies and whatever. So it's such a bubbling city that uh, things are changing. Things have been changing very, very quickly. And at the moment, it's less of a problem of it being uh, too expensive, but more just like there is nowhere to live. There's really? just so people that have lived there their entire lives spend a year looking for a, an apartment. That's the the situation at the moment. So it's quite wild, and and I feel quite sorry for for local Berliners who, you know, on the one hand love the multicultural nature of the city and and want pe- people to be able to find their home there. It's 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 one of those places that just you know, for all the misfits of the world, it's, it's, it's home. It just feels like home. Um, but at the same time, they're like, fuck Berlin got too cool. It just got too cool, and now I can't find a place to live and because it, and there's it,
0: too many people here. <laughs> exactly, and it doesn't seem to like be slowing down either. Not like, at all. I mean, Andre, Leo, and Lucy Kruger from Medicine Boy, who've you know now live there, and then we've got by Benico that are also moving there, and like South Tor African moved there. Tor moved there, yeah. Beatenburg. I see Rob there every yeah. second day, so like. I feel like there's this influx of South African creatives as well. Absolutely. So when you're there, do you see a lot of each other? I mean, do you sort of bump into each other in the street, like when, when you're all busking? Or, I mean, is it is it is it that kind of, do you run in the same circles? Is the creative community that small?
1: So in 2012, when I moved there, bumping into a South African was so rare. It just didn't happen. Um, And now over the last few years, I guess a a lot of people started paving the way for, um, you know... uh, people getting more excited to go there because there's already a community there that they can, you know, they don't have to start from scratch. They mm. can already have a connection or two. So now there's, there is definitely a growing amount of South African artists there. I would say, um, you do, uh, cross paths quite a lot. You help each other out, um, help each other get the kind of documents you need for your artist visa or whatever. I'm lucky enough Super to important. have a, a passport, a uh, Belgian passport. So Ooh, I never ticket. needed that. Yeah. Hmm. Golden ticket, baby. It's, I mean, it becomes so arbitrary when when you know it's it's just a matter of a little booklet it feels super weird but i have also helped people um to get the kind of documentation they need to uh, get art- artist visas but at the same time i don't i've never been that kind of person that is like um so Overly proudly South African, that I'll just stick with my my people and like that'll be my community wherever I go, you know. So
0: hashtag I th- I'm staying. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I've just kind of decided, like, I don't um, go out of my way to to join and connect the South African artists in in Berlin because that already happens quite quite easily, and yeah, it just kind of everyone slots into this. Scene and it becomes less about where you're from and just
0: more about what you do. So you spoke earlier about busking and you spoke fondly about it. But, you know, with the ups come the downs. Mm. And I'm sure that you've had a few experiences over the years busking that can't have been entirely positive. Absolutely. So what what have been some of the pitfalls over the years of your busking experiences in berlin but Mm. then also around the world because you you do busk and when you get the opportunity you you do busk wherever you can Mm.
1: yeah look i think people underestimate how difficult it is to be a woman busking on the streets it's fucking difficult really and um That's why I've seen so many people try, so many women try, and actually not have the strength to continue, um, which I don't blame them for. I don't at all, because you can have really hard experiences and just feel unsafe, basically. Um, And I've definitely been there. I had to do a lot of growing up very quickly and... Um, I'm someone that's very good at forming kind of relationships and communities um, within those circles um, to create understanding, to create support um, so that you always have people that have got your back wherever you go. And that's been a beautiful learning experience. And the, you know, the busking communities of the world are all so different. I've been You know, I've dipped into so many scenes like that. In Amsterdam, for instance, it's incredibly competitive because. Really? Yeah, because you only get, they only give out a very small amount of actual busking licenses there. And so I experienced my first, like, really bad experience happened in Amsterdam. Most of the buskers uh, were kind of street artists that would do these shows with getting out of a straight jacket or doing like some crazy shit. And, and they had been doing it for like 10, 15 years. They were generally men from, uh, different English speaking com- countries of, around the world, Australia, um, the USA, etc. And they had usually were supporting some kind of addiction, not to, not to, um, you know, slander addicts or anything like I definitely empathize with that, but then obviously it's how you treat the people around you. Um, And this one guy, I always kept my distance from him because he was quite aggressive. And I think he was addicted to speed um, and alcohol. And I was 19 years old, no, 18 years old, um, just out of high school. And I was fire dancing on the later plane every night for like 30 minutes. And that's how I was getting by and i was very non-intrusive i understood that they had their own dynamics of how they do things and run the show um, but eventually he would always push my buttons you know australian kind of alcoholic character sorry oh, to sounds, stereotype but he sounds divine yeah he was stereotype away <laughs> and so he would he would always try to push my buttons and get a reaction out of me and i saw that that was his tactic so i would always lay low and let him have his whatever and eventually he got to a point where he told me that he was going to follow me home and rape me wow and he said it in front of three or four other busking men and not one person stood up for me no one like you know called him out for what he'd said and I was so shook by it I had to just like I didn't want to see him to see me cry but I could feel I was gonna cry Mm. so I just like took a walk around the block had a little cry and came back um and this guy (laughs) on the same night ended up Getting into a fight and getting beaten up—I don't comment. I don't know. Karma, I don't know. <laughs> but it was—it was a very, very big um, wake-up call and learning experience for me. Um, and I ended up changing my spot and deciding not to be around th- that character or the people that had not defended me. Um, but that was that was a hard one, to be honest, especially because I knew him, I was kind of friendly with him. And it's scary when you're alone in a city halfway across the world from home and somebody is, is threatening you like that. Um, but then in general, on the streets, I mean, you've got to understand that you become pretty used to being shouted at, being grabbed, um, having people on all sorts of drugs coming in and trying to, trying to just squash the magic that you're creating in that moment, you know, because I think that's exactly what happens is you're, you're creating this beautiful, cozy bubble that people want to engage with and... You, somebody who's maybe having a fucking shit time on the inside and uh, is sees the light, sees the, the warmth and just wants to destroy it, you know? And um, that's also something that I've learned to understand and empathize with on another level. And then comes the responsibility because I think when you have, I sometimes have 100 to 200 people there standing, watching me, Um, appreciating me looking up to me in that moment if someone comes and tries to destroy the moment how do you engage with them and it is so important to not treat someone as though they are lower than you especially Mm -hmm. if they are homeless or if they look like they've had a hard time I've seen so many buskers treat other people like they are lower than them, you know? And so I think that's been an incredible learning experience as well as just trying to treat people with the utmost respect, even if they're acting like a piece of shit sometimes, you know, and trying to be stern and stand your ground while still treating other people like human beings.
0: I mean, you, you might not have gone to any sort of music tertiary educational institution but you definitely went to the school of hard knocks oh, and I think baby. that you're so much better for it to be really yeah. honest
1: I'm so happy with my my education on, on the streets to be honest and then also the the level of just you know you share a space with with a lot of homeless people a lot of drug dealers um, all sorts of kinds of people and and you learn to to share you learn to To yeah, like use this public space and not have like a hierarchy, and it's taught me so many lessons, and I think definitely made me understand other people a lot better.
0: That's another thing I've learned about you today. Who would have known that Alice Phoebe lou is so gangster? (laughs) So I want to talk about your your TED Talk performance because in my mind that was a huge turning point for you. I think it's been viewed like just over 2 million times or something stupid like that. And I feel like that that TED Talk really launched you to a global audience, but very interestingly made everybody back home go, like, who's this girl? <laughs> and what's she doing in Berlin? And oh my God, she's such an insane talent. What are your thoughts when you think back on that TED Talk now, or that that performance specifically, and and the craziness and the hype that came with that I
1: found it kind of ridiculous to be honest I was like really this video this is what people are like recognizing me for right now like you know I was proud of it uh, on one level I look back on it now I'm like wow I was so nervous it was one of my first times playing like on a proper stage and I I didn't I, I didn't really know what I was going to say. they had asked me just to perform three songs. They hadn't told me to, to say anything in between or anything. Um, and then those few things that I did say seemed to resonate with people. It made me more confident to use... Uh, gigs and performances as an opportunity to also raise certain issues talk about things made me feel more comfortable in doing that because sometimes you like question yourself like am I talking too much is this too much information for people that just want to like be entertained or whatever but that definitely broke that for me which was cool but I was surprised because I was also very used to this like kind of nice slow trajectory of um how my career was building on kind of like a solid foundation but I'd constantly already before that been turning down labels and um just basically stopping any of those snap career moments that like propel you to another dimension all of a sudden, because that's not really how I ever wanted to do things. To be honest, I just, I'd seen so many people go through the label thing, especially with bigger labels and how um, it just affected Them and their music in a negative way and change their lives. Yeah, how it can fuck everything up. It can really fuck everything up. and so I, I'd really made that executive decision to to stick to my guns and to build something on a solid foundation and not feel like I just want to like you know click my fingers and be somewhere else. Because, and I'm so glad that that happened because I feel like there's a lot of times where a young person, especially. Is kind of whipped up in that world, and of course, there's artist-friendly labels. There's amazing people doing amazing things out there. Don't get me wrong, but often they'll snatch someone up um, and they'll go from you know zero to hero or whatever you want to call it, and not have learnt the lessons to get there. And so when they when they're on the other side, it, it's very hard for them to to understand how to to continue because they haven't worked hard and learned the lessons to get there and it it makes it I think quite difficult to to move forward from that place you feel like your creativity and and everything that made you the artist that you were um are a little bit like lost on the wayside um so so yeah um that was like the first moment where I was like okay I could see the sudden shift in like people realizing who I was, I guess. And um, when I got back to South Africa that year, I was not to be like, oh my God, it's so hard being so popular. But like, <laughs> it, was, it was just a little bit overwhelming. Like I would go to a party and someone would be like, hey, you're the girl with tattoo. Hey, and I'd be like, oh, hey, a little awkward and shy. And that was that was the first time that I realized that South African fans are hectic sometimes like I don't know I find it very funny because like I don't get it all over the world where I'll you know walk into a restaurant in Cape Town and someone will shout from the other side. Oh my God, it's Alice Fidelu, guys. And you're just like, hello, I'm a human being. Why are you shouting at me? Can everyone just go back to doing what they're doing? You know, just like, a it was a funny thing for me and it, it was hard to get used to because it's not, I don't like being treated special. I feel very weird about it. Um, I always try to, after shows, whenever I play a show, I'm there doing the merch, um, trying to show people that I'm not better than you. I'm not – I don't like being put on a pedestal. I don't like – you know, it's one thing to admire someone. It's another thing to try and, like, turn them into, like, a god or a guru or something bigger than you. And I've never felt comfortable with that idea. So um, it can be interesting sometimes.
0: I, I can't imagine that opening for Rodriguez could have made that no. any any better. No.
1: It's like – and sometimes I have moments where I just – you know and shame i understand like everybody like i have empathy for people who do this but at the same time i'm like blown away i'll be eating some food and someone will just slide in for a selfie without asking without and i'm just there like wow how did the the, how did everything lead to the point where you thought that this was okay like i'll be you know, have a bit drunk with some friends or whatever, and someone will just you know grab me or like demand my attention, and it's just something that people should acknowledge. You know that everybody is just a a human being, and um,
0: you know. <laughs> also, somewhere on the internet, there's a photo of you, a selfie of you eating a sandwich with some person who's like smiling really broadly they're like oh my god this is my favorite thing I ever (laughs) oh my god no
1: it's it's a it's a funny one it is a funny one but like as I said like I always try to be as kind to people in those situations as possible while now still I've come to the point where I assert my boundaries better and I'm so happy I'm there I feel like I grew up so much from the point where I felt like I always had to say yes to anybody mm. to the point where I'm like actually I really don't feel like taking a selfie right now I can give you a little hug though if you feel like it and you know maybe like a little high five or something but um I yeah, feel just like asserting those boundaries is super important saying no is super important the way
0: you do it is also super important and and learning how to do that yeah is also, takes years. Definitely. But that's also super important. And I, like, one of the things that I think that you've done really well, we spoke a little uh, briefly about record labels, indie labels, aggregators, major labels, um, uh, how they can be a help, but how they can also be a hindrance. And Mm -hmm. I feel like you, as an independent artist, I know that you, you know, work with a team. There are people around you, but exclusively, you know, everything you curate, you are in charge of the image that you portray. And I know that, um, I mean, at the end of last year, you released Skin Crawl, which is, I mean, really, really beautiful music video and a really beautiful song, um, which obviously deals with some pretty hectic subject matter. But you released it with a press release that you wrote detailing that incident that happened in New mm. York where you were drugged and then almost um, assaulted. But thankfully, you were not. Um, and I just... I. I felt like that was, firstly, really brave to do, super, super brave. But also, you did it in such a like, beautiful way because you had control over the words that came out. Totally, Over yeah. that. How, how, how important do you think it is for artists to not give away all of themselves to still own a piece of themselves, especially all of themselves, especially when it comes to something like that press release that you wrote, because that went on everywhere. That was on, I think it was debuted on fade. Yeah. If I'm, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, and that was beautiful. Cause that was you in your own words.
1: Totally. I think with something like that, especially I really felt like I needed to be able to have some context for people to, to digest that video with because on the one hand, I'm trying to, you know, get quite a strong uh, idea across. And the video Um, was, was
0: you walking on top of a chorus of men basically. Yeah.
1: Using men as, as furniture and stuff. And of course I got a bit of backlash for that. Fair enough. Um, good. (laughs) It's all good. It, It happens, but much less than I expected. And I think that, the reason why the backlash was much less than anticipated was because of giving people context because of the fact that I'm not doing this from a place of hate and that I'm not trying to um you know make people feel bad I'm just trying to get across a point of view that a lot of people experience um and i think I think everybody approaches their kind of p r differently and I can respect. The fact that a lot of artists want to make the music and then have the other stuff done for them. I really do respect and understand that. But for my music, it's my name, it's my history, it's my everything about me is attached to my project. It's not a persona. So making sure that you can explain yourself and articulate yourself properly, that your intentions are articulated and using songs as an opportunity to, uh, you know, spread ideas and, and make people feel less alone and heard and all of those things. That's, that's such a beautiful opportunity. And so I've always seen it as such. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, communicating ideas, is is important giving people information and context and background is uh, just strengthens the the message and the deliverance of of those things so
0: mm. i want to talk about the song that was shortlisted for best original song at the oscars two years ago because that's huge i mean that's that's not a small feat um and it's a it's a stunning, stunning song. She is absolutely divine, and um, it soundtracked the bombshell, yes, uh, which is the documentary about Hedy Lamarr, exactly, who was an actress and a f- she was inventor, a, exactly. Yes. She was an inventor.
1: She's responsible for the the technology that uh, is used in Wi Fi and all wireless communication.
0: Incredible! Yeah. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, you're the schooling me hard awesome. today. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. And yeah, I, I basically was reached out to by the director and uh, Susan Sarandon was the, the producer of the, the film um, and they, yeah, they wanted the song for the film. I was super happy. It was cool because I got to go over there and meet them and go to the premiere. And actually it was really funny because I sat there watching the film and I was so wrapped up in the story because it's such a beautiful story that... I'd forgotten that my song was on it because it only comes right in the end. And so like I'm watching this film like totally into it and then suddenly my song's playing and it's like Tribeca Film Festival, like massive theatre. And I'm like, it's me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Just blushing over there. Um, So it was a really cool experience. I was really, really happy with the whole thing. Um, And it came at a really nice time. And it was also just such a powerhouse of women that were behind the documentary um, so it was it was a really cool experience I was really happy
0: and then you go from one sort of powerhouse uh, project to another with Maisie Williams oh yeah from, true. <laughs> from oh my god from Game of Thrones and when I saw that like my the my inner geek was freaking out because I just thought that galaxies was such a beautiful piece of art like you had her Saying the poem in the beginning, and it was shot in the... Planetarium. Planetarium. In Berlin, yeah. And it just, everything about it was so expertly curated. How did that come about?
1: So, Macy um, has been launching an app called Daisy, which is super cool because she's she's really young and has such a vision for the things that she can do outside of acting and using her fame to do awesome shit basically and this app is about connecting creatives and uh, a platform for um profile profiles putting a profile as an artist and connecting people and uh in the pursuit of launching that app she wanted to do a bunch of content with majestic casual and I um, happen to... My manager's office happens to be next door to Majestic Casuals, so I have a good relationship with them. And so she wanted to do a bunch of different content with them. And one of the ideas was to to collaborate on a a live session with an artist. And they presented a bunch of artists. She seemed to be interested in me. We had, like, one phone call, and uh, we just had like a good vibe so it it all went super smoothly it was very even though it was orchestrated it felt very natural the way that things things uh, progressed also I hate to admit it never seen Game of Thrones. I know. Please. Alice. I'm sorry. What's going on right now? I think now? it just got ahead of me, you know. All of a sudden it was like a million seasons in and I was like, fuck, I gotta start from the beginning. This is gonna take up too much of my time. I need to get really sick and then just watch it all. That's that's the idea. You,
0: you need to Except come back. Except I like oh. know
1: what happens now because everyone was raving about it. So I'm like, what's the point now? No,
0: Alice you're a last Shit. cause. Okay. <laughs> I know. No, I can't. Okay, so this interview's think over. About <laughs>
1: this. Think about this. I mean, I obviously didn't tell her like, I've never seen Game of Thrones, but, like, what what was actually so cool about our connection is that I wasn't a fangirl, and I think everyone else is so, you know, everyone else that she meets has a way of treating her that is quite, you know you're the superstar and I'm a lowly
0: mortal. You're Arya um, Stark.
1: Yeah, exactly. Of the
0: House of Stark.
1: Exactly. Like, like
0: Wait, Neil, b- bend totally a knee. Totally,
1: I know exactly what that means. And, um,
0: <laughs> and so... I love I think, how you don't know what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> I know, your mind is being blown. I can see it in front of me. And so, yeah, so our communication was so authentic and and real and without that kind of context and layer that we just got along really well. And I think she, she also appreciated me, Treating her like like a like a human
0: mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> not a member of House of Stark. Exactly. Got you.
1: And um, yeah, so the whole thing went down really well. It was super sweet, and I'd been playing in that planetarium. I think that was the twelfth show I've done in the last three years there, because we started it as a, a concert series of just three shows, and it just went down so well that we just kept kept doing them, and kept working on them, improving them so that it could all be one really unique concert experience. And I'm super, super happy with the way that it's um, kind of progressed and where it's at now. Uh, And we uh, we are also pitching it to other planetariums. So we want to do one in Tokyo, for instance. One in Um, Cape Town. One in Cape Town. Ah, here we go.
0: Okay, now we're getting to the good stuff. (laughs) Um,
1: Because it's it's something different.
0: It's really, really special. Yeah, I think one of the things that's so unique to your journey is how, I mean, what we've been saying throughout this whole interview is how you've done things your own way yeah. and you've, be able, you've been able to be the sort of, you know, captain of your own ship and how your music is, you know, how your story is told and how your persona is put out. It's all, yeah, it's all expertly curated by you which is great and also we were talking off air before we started recording this about the events that you put on towards the end of last year beginning of this year in Cape Town independently and how incredibly well these events that you've put on have done and how totally blown away you are and again to reinforce that like it's so super important to be able well I mean I think you're very lucky to be able to call the own, your own shots and totally. curate your own lineups and put on your own events. Um, but do you think, I mean, I know that Berlin, you know, you're three months, two months here, three months here, and then you're the rest of the year in Berlin. Do you do you think you'll ever put down roots anyway? Or, or do you think like you're happy with... How things are going at the moment?
1: I have no idea, to mm. be honest. I change a lot. Um, if there's something that I know about myself is that I change, and that change is very good for me. So I I decide quite overtly not to predict that change in order for it to happen naturally as I grow older and as my values or my circumstances change or the things that I want to surround myself change, and so I let that be quite an organic process. So. Who knows? But the one thing that I do know is that I've been really excited to get to the point where my, um, you know, my ability to draw a crowd is at the place that it is now um, in order to use that to um, uplift and promote other artists. And that's been something that I've been working on for years now. I've put on shows and parties in Berlin for quite a long time where i you know, use my pool to just get artists that I love that I think deserve a bigger audience onto the stage. Um, And that's one of my biggest joys is, is being an event curator and helping using my success to help other artists um, get further. And to bring that now to South Africa in a real way has been so rewarding. I've been working with my friend Quito, who is honestly, a, a gem in South Africa in terms of what he does for South African music and how his fingers in on the pulse. And so us as a team has just been so amazing. We put on a festival on the 11th, 11th of January called We Here, and we sold it out. We had 700 ticket holders and a bunch of friends. And I also set up a line of communication where anybody could apply for a cheaper ticket or a free ticket Mm -hmm. which is something that I also think is incredibly important in South Africa is like I feel like it's your responsibility as somebody who's um creating events or you know uh, doing culture or art to make sure that you at least have something in place where you are um you know, aware of the difference between, um, you know, some twenty rand for one person is two hundred rand for another person here, and you need to be able to make your events inclusive and to promote that and to, to make that the standard. And it was so amazing because I just had people emailing me with loads of different circumstances, and I would just ask them how much are you comfortable to pay. Mm. And it was such a beautiful process. And there were so many people that were so grateful that wouldn't have been able to come to the event that that did. And I feel like it was yeah, such a success in that sense as well. Um, And such amazing artists as well. And then, of course, suddenly there was nothing to do after that festival. So me and Kvita were like, let's do another one. And we put up an event on the Tuesday for an event on Sunday. And it was called Now We Here and we got 550 people to come. And it was a nice crossover between um, DJs and live acts. And it went down so well. I think people also in Cape Town really love spontaneous events, but obviously... No, like, event organizer in their right mind wants to do one here because of how bloody fakey, flaky everyone is. Never, I
0: would never put my neck on the chopping block like that ever. And that's
1: why I am in a position where I can do that because you know I can get people over, I I have, you know, some sort of um name here. So, just to be able to do that was so exciting and so fun and showed me the potential for what I can do here in the future and I've got big ideas and I'm very excited to to do more events here and to just support the scene here because it's so important and there's also just a sense of just showing people basic concert etiquette you know showing them how you can come and listen you know like like Maybe shut your fucking mouth and listen as well. <laughs> and I'm pretty good at commanding a crowd now. That's I, I would say I'm I've I've yeah. I've learned the art of of making a space consistent and showing people that how nice it is that we're all in this together, you know? And I played a solo show on that second show. A solo show in Cape Town in front of five hundred and fifty people and everyone was stall <laughs> and that never happens so just being able to show people that that's possible training people to buy their tickets in advance those kinds of things and contributing to that like n- normalizing that kind of event culture
0: I think is very important here it's and 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 there and there you have it uh, Alice Phoebe Lou, singer-songwriter fire dancer and um, South Africa's newest, hottest event promoted Baby. teach me your ways Alice yeah. teach me how to make people shut up when I, Oh Christ. my! oh my god for real <laughs> no but thank you so much for coming through such a pleasure
1: you've got this golden
0: studio. Thanks for joining us for another Text Talks. Check out textinthecity.com for more episodes. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Music and listen to Text Talks on all good streaming platforms. From myself, Tex, our producers, Jonathan Ings and Matt Lewitz, and our assistant researcher and collaborator, Al Clapper, catch y'all on the flip side.